1: Yes, it is. And welcome back. Coming to you live from our Guns Etc. studios every Monday at this hour, we bring to you Brandon J. Weikert. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He's a columnist with The Asia Times, America Greatness, The Washington Times, and the publisher of his own journal, The Weikert Report, com, which you can get online and for free. Branton, uh, I am so glad you are with us today. I only have about 980,000 questions <laughs> for you.
2: <laughs> so, well, I ho- thank you for having me. I
1: hope you ate your Wheaties. No, thanks for always being here. That thanks to you. Thanks goes to
2: you. Well, I appreciate you having me, as always. Um, a lot of things going on yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah. I just sent you my newest article from uh, the Asia Times. Uh, Ukraine is lost. Europe is not. So... You know, I, think, to I, I think
1: I'd like to start there. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I, was I was just was...
2: talking to Buck Sexton about it about 20 minutes
1: ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Good warm-up for the pros, okay? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I, I, I get it. You start with the fly-by-nights and you end with me. Fi- fine. Okay. <laughs>
2: no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is the cap of my Monday yeah, night. Yeah, there you
1: go. Building, this building, my, my building for the, for the big yes. race. Yeah.
2: yes. All yes. right,
1: bro brother. I have a lot of questions. But first, let's do talk about your column in the Asia Times. Ukraine has lost Europe. It's not. You indict <clears throat> as much Putin. You indict 30 years of America fumbling around yeah. on this issue. Go ahead yeah. and tell us why.
2: Well, I mean, basically, historically, Ukraine has been viewed by every Russian leader, at least since Catherine the Great, uh, as being an you know inextricably bound component uh, to Russia now, the Ukrainians, of course, disagree. But unfortunately, uh, what is the old saying from the Melian dialogue? Uh, uh, the 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 strong do what they 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 can, and the weak do what or the strong do what they must, and the weak do what they can, yep. or some variation yep. thereof. I, I know where you're going. For botching it, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but basically, uh, that's where we are at at present. Which is Ukraine, unfortunately, is a small to medium-sized country. It's somewhat of a basket case uh and we when the soviet union fell in the west had an opportunity a very limited window to actually sort of shore up the protections for these former soviet states some of them like poland we did we worked them into nato and some of those baltic states but the ukraine we did not and that was largely because the russians were basically growling at us saying you make that part of nato we're going to have problems and and to be fair to russia they did agree to the Bucharest Memoranda, which actually conferred independence and democracy upon Ukrainians. And upon and so, the
1: Ukrainians disarming, right? Which they did.
2: Uh, yes, which, yeah. of course, if, if you are concerned about a Russian resurgence, which we should have been at that time, uh, the, given history, of course, you don't pay attention to history, uh, given history in 1994, it was a disaster that we did make them uh, disarm those nuclear weapons. But that was a Clinton and Strobe Talbot Uh, objective that was fulfilled and now here we are there's no defensive barrier in ukraine physical or technological to the russian onslaught that is going to come i suspect the week of february 25th uh and so that's that and and everything now is just window dressing because basically you know putin's been playing chess and the americans and west have been not even playing anything. Yeah, They're I was going to say of playing kickball.
1: Yeah, playing kick the right. can. And so now, yeah.
2: now Putin has basically locked in all the moves early on in the game, and we're checkmated. There's no maneuvering we can do. This is why that nuclear option, the, the final sanction we could do, which would deprive Russia of access to 5G Internet and all these suite of new technologies that Russia's economy is going to need to be competitive. That's why Blinken today came out and was like, yeah, we're not going to do that just yet. Well... The only time to employ that is before an invasion, not after an invasion. After an invasion is reckless. It will not roll back the Russian claim of, of eastern Ukraine after their forces are there. And furthermore, it will only militate Russia further against the West and send Russia even closer into the orbit of Xi Jinping's China, which is a nightmare scenario.
1: I want to hold that in suspension and circle back to it. You made mention that we in the United States don't pay attention to history. I have a feeling that's not true of Russian leadership. In fact, I could envision someone, uh, someone in the foreign ministry going up to Putin and saying, why do you want Ukraine? It is, as Brandon Weikert says, a basket case and Putin looking him in the eye and saying, history, my friend, history. That that that's right. what it is. It's cultural right. and historical, right? It's right. not much more right. used to them than that. This or is it?
2: Right. Right. Well, no, well, it is. It's 100 percent that it is also strategic. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson got in a lot of trouble when he said this. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong, though. From the Russian perspective, Ukraine is viewed the way we view Mexico. We would not like it if Mexico had Chinese forces moving in and trying to be made part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization just wouldn't happen. And so we would have a problem with it. Russia has long said that that Ukraine, whether we like it or not, is viewed as a strategic buffer the way we view Mexico as a strategic buffer to our land. And uh, the Russians were not going to abide by Ukraine being made part of the NATO alliance, especially when clearly the NATO alliance was still geared toward you know, stopping or being opposed to Russia, even after it no longer was the Soviet Union, and was trying to make itself amenable to the West throughout the 90s and early 2000s. So it's strategic, it's cultural, it's a blood feud. This is a family matter for Putin because of all the ethnic Russians who have long been in Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine, Ukraine specifically. So this is all part of this long-running bid and the moment that we tried or said we were going to make Ukraine part of NATO, the moment we started moving forces and, and and weapons into that country with no real plan for actually defending it and shoring up its sovereignty, that was the moment that Moscow said we're going in. And the moment that Joe Biden was elected, then Putin knew that he had a real pliable uh, counterparty in Washington that he could push around. And this is why we see now NATO fraying, Germany going their own way, France going their own way, Poland going their own way, Ukraine being left in the dust. They're not part of NATO, but they were supposedly going at some point to be a part of NATO. So this is why you're seeing that whole alliance now shatter, because Putin knows Biden's weak. Now's the time. He'll never get another opportunity like this. The same kind of opportunity, only more that he had in 2014 when Obama was in office. Notice, my friends listening, how this didn't happen under Trump, the supposed Russian, uh, uh you know, Manchurian candidate.
1: Well, for the same reason that Assad thought he could use gas against his own people after Barack Obama threatened them not to right. because they could, because they right. knew they could. That's why, right. Mm-hmm. That's, That's, why. Right. That's so, right. So. So there, really, there are a lot of questions I'm going to ask the audience to stick with on this, because I think your question might get asked. I, I just have so many. I want to get your your brain on, Brandon uh, J. Weicker, if I okay. can. And and we'll flow between history and contemporary contemporary. The story is the U.S. is putting about eighty five hundred troops in the area. It's a joke, Right. It's a joke.
2: Okay. There's one hundred and seventy six thousand now Russian troops. Not to mention, I think I like, I don't know, a few thousand to 10,000 Russian mercenaries. There are hundreds and hundreds of Russian tanks across the border. They're flowing in their amphibious assault vehicles. This is a full-blown invasion. And the the Americans are throwing out 8,500 light infantry guys around the general area. Mm -hmm. It's a joke. What it's going to do is get a lot of our people killed and put in danger needlessly. And that will trigger a, a war because at that point, if American, Canadian, or British... Special forces and and elite forces get killed by the Russians as they come rolling across the border, and they will be probably. What's going to happen is one of those governments in NATO is going to go, well, Ukraine's not a NATO member, but you know what we are. You just killed our guys that were in the way. And guess what? That's an act of war, Article 5 time. And now we're looking at a world war. And this country right now, the United States and its allies, cannot afford a world war, especially with Russia. The threat is farther to the east. It's China. Russia is a sideshow, for God's sake.
1: Brandon, the eighty five hundred, probably plus or minus, troops that we're talking about. Who do they answer to? Do they answer to uh, the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, or
2: that is? I believe that is the case. Yeah, if they're in theater. They they would answer to to yeah, Sackler. Yeah, I think that would be correct.
1: Okay. Um, and then the other question I have I mean there's a a lot, so just strap on your seat belts here the the other the big one is the question that is all but discussed, which is should we do what we can to defend Ukraine and what are the limits? I'm going into a commercial break yeah. here yeah. And uh, you invoke uh, Edward Lutt-Vach's, uh some of yes. his thinking. I've been reading him for years, too. And maybe yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's part of the answer. But should we care about Ukraine? And if so, how so? Let's talk about that when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon J. Weikert of The Weikert Report, Asia Times and everywhere else that's important and interesting. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. <laughs> I sent you a text. I hope you're not laughing too hard from it, Brandon. <laughs> but, oh, you did. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Um, Brandon, t- yeah, right. Talking uh, talking about uh, Russia, Ukraine, and the United States with Brandon J. Weikert from the Weikert Report, Asia Times, et cetera. His column in the Asia times. Ukraine has lost. Europe is not. We'll get to the Europe part shortly. Should the U.S. try to do something, Brandon? The big question. Should the U.S. try to do something to protect Ukraine? Should it try to do everything? Uh, Talk to me about what the stakes are here.
2: Well, my point with the article was meant to pour some cold water on all these ideologues in Washington and Brussels who think it's still 1992. Um, the, 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 The moves that have been made should have been made beginning 30 years ago, up until about five years ago, four years ago. Okay. They were not made. Uh, in fact, Donald Trump was one of the few presidents who actually made some serious moves to try to help the Ukrainians, despite being called a Russian agent. She was not. So we have here four or five presidents pretty much in a row who completely you know screwed the pooch on the Ukraine issue. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. There are no more little trickery or little moves to be made by us. Russia has completely boxed in the region uh, of Ukraine, eastern Ukraine. They have been planning for this. This is a fait accompli at this point. There is no other move. It doesn't matter what we want to do. Of course, I don't want to see Ukraine... All. Ukraine is being abused. It's not right what's happening to it. My heart goes out to them. I don't like what Russia is doing, but let's talk about this strategically, clinically, and from the perspective of an American yeah. leader. Yeah. There's absolutely no interest at this point in sending 8,500 a joke number, with all due respect, of our troops to go get possibly slaughtered in the middle of a massive Russian invasion of Ukraine. They are going in. It is going to happen. And, uh, you know, this idea that, well, we can just make something happen because we'll be there. Um, nobody believes that anymore. Our enemies aren't scared of us anymore. Our forces have been depleted. We've got 20 years now of wasteful wars in the Middle East that drained us of time, money, resources, and capabilities, and very little in the way of replenishment. And so this idea that Americans can just come rushing in there because we're the good guys, it doesn't not how the war works. Uh, and so rather than overcommitting ourselves... We need to start looking at real defensive barriers around countries that can and will help defend themselves effectively, deter Russia, and also be useful to us. So that's why I talk about in the article, Ukraine is law, Eastern Ukraine, not Europe, though, because there are Baltic states, former Soviet states who are um, NATO members and have been for a long time, notably Poland, who are the nucleus of resistance, and they have capabilities. My colleague, Dr. Jacek is he's an advisor to the Polish government. He is coming over to D.C. in February or March. He's going to be talking about this new model army concept that his team has been pushing that is dynamic, And will ensure that Poland and the actual former Soviet states that are actual NATO members will never have to fear a Russian invasion the way Ukraine and Georgia had had to fear. And that is the key. We have to draw the defensive line now and we have to spend the next seven years totally rebuilding the defensive perimeter of actual NATO members, particularly those in Eastern Europe. Ukraine is lost.
1: We're talking about Poland, Hungary, probably Romania, I suppose. And, right. And right. Absolutely. Czech Republic's Absolutely. after that. Yeah. OK. Right. All right. So then, Brandon, if, however, Putin marches into Ukraine, which is more of a when than an if, as as, as you put it.
2: I'm convinced.
1: Yeah. Does that? Well, yeah. Does 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 it become harder or does it become is all law is. Is all lost if that happens, or is there this Trump? And I gather somewhat of what you write. This Edward Lutvak uh, position was kind of what Trump was trying to do. Sort of. Is that our last best hope? And can you describe
2: it? So Lutvak is is convinced that an insurgency backed by us, uh, after the Russians invade, the Ukrainians are tough fighters. They're not going to give up. That that will be enough to basically. Uh, you know, ultimately bleed the Russians the way the Mujahideen did in Afghanistan. The difference is, as I said, this is a family matter for Putin. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan was not a family matter for the Russians. Right. Uh, in, fact, in fact, the Russians and the Soviets didn't really even know what the heck they were trying to do in Afghanistan, which is part of the reason why it failed. They didn't have a real objective. They showed up to support the government there and maybe link up to Iran. But that was sort of extraneous, and their economy couldn't handle it. Ukraine is considered an appendage, an essential com- appendage of Russia's southern defense perimeter, period. And they will do whatever it takes. And so I think Lutlak is completely wrong is when he says that all the Ukrainians have to do after the Russians invade is kill 100 of their young men, the Russians, and because they have so few people in Russia, the Russians will will, will run away, turn tail and run Yeah, but they, they don't exist. count
1: that way, do they, they, the Russians? They don't do that. Yeah, and then yeah. I
2: read these articles of what the Russians are fighting like in faraway Syria, blowing themselves up to take out a group of of jihadists in Palmyra uh, rather than surrender, uh, praying to God as they do so, to the the Orthodox Christian God. These are not people, these are young people in, in uniform for Russia. They are not the type who seem to want to be running away. 400 mercenaries, Russian mercenaries attacked a uh, hundred or so U.S. Delta Force operatives in eastern Syria a few years ago, prompting Trump to launch you know, air warfare, unlike ever before, that killed those 400 Russians. But as Sean McFrake talks about in his book, uh, had it been a few hundred more Russians, and had they been able to you know, disable our communications gear, which they may be able to now, that could have been a slaughter of U.S. forces by very angry, hungry Russian uh, you know, private military contractors who were looking to kill Americans. And so this idea that, you know, we can just send a 8,500 lightly armed guys and that'll be enough uh, is ridiculous because this is a family matter and it's a strategic priority. This is not a strategic priority for Washington. And you can see this in how they're reacting to it. And it's not a family matter for us. And ultimately, everybody knows Biden is weak and he will walk away. That's what's going to happen, just like Afghanistan.
1: Uh, Brandon, let me let me get this this one out of the way with you. Um. Uh, But but before we go back to the focus on Ukraine for just a moment, because it seems to come in part of the discussion here and there, and that's how is Nord Stream 2 and Russia and Germany related to any of this?
2: Well, it's related all the way because this is the economic beating heart uh, that Russia needs to have, you know, uh, a hold over the heart of Europe. Germany is the most important economy in continental Europe. It is the de facto capital of the European Union because of that. They need that Russian natural gas. The, the Germans are stabbing every NATO alliance member in the back, denying weapons transfers through their territory from NATO members to Ukraine, uh, trying to deny overflight access uh, for the British surveillance planes flying over German airspace to get to Ukraine, uh, you know, throwing the Americans under the bus. The French now are also doing the same thing, demanding unilateral talks with Moscow to disarm the situation without including Ukraine or the Americans or any other NATO member except for Germany. So basically what you have is a free for all. And Germany's leading that free for all where they're basically frog marching a weak former Soviet states like Ukraine to the front of the firing line right in the aim of Putin. And they're holding the Ukrainians in place while Putin fires. And that is the role Germany will play. Germany and France both do not like American power. They haven't liked it since forever. They do not like that America is more involved in the continent. They're trying to push the Americans out, elevate the German-Franco alliance, and then uh, use Russia as a balancer against their other European rivals. History, my friends, it has returned. Yeah, Europe, yeah. I was just going to think
1: that. That, that. That's exactly what I was thinking. They were waiting for a president, almost as if they were waiting for a president like Biden so yep. that they could exercise those muscles. And that natural you know.
2: gas links Germany to Russia permanently.
1: Perfect. OK, I'm Seth Leibs and he's Brandon J. Weicker. So much more to discuss here. We will be right back. Welcome, welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. We're having an in-depth discussion of uh, Russia, America, Ukraine, and Europe with Brandon J. Weikert, author of Winning Space, publisher of The Weikert Report. Um, Brandon, uh, a, a listener emails me this. You tell me what we have right and what we have wrong in this sentiment. Uh protecting Ukraine from Russia is a Biden interest, not an American interest. We need Russia as an ally against China. China is emboldened coincidentally by having an even (laughs) a large pile of dirt on Hunter Biden and the Biden family. But the the Republicans in Congress, this listener says needs to step up to stop the madness of threatening to engage Russia over Ukraine. What do we have right
2: here? Well, um, You know, it's wrong what Russia's doing, but uh, ultimately, like I said, it's all over, but the crime. There's nothing we can do to change the dynamic. The only thing that, you know, this is what I said earlier. The only thing that can change the dynamic is if that snow melts early, uh, it gets a warmer than usual winter and suddenly that snow and ice become an unpassable, uh, uh, muddy slush that the Russian tanks can't get through, which is what happened last April. People forget we were on the brink of war with Russia last April. And everybody thinks the fact that Biden picked up the phone with Putin and said, I'll meet with you, man, face-to-face, that that was why Putin backed down. It was not. It's because the weather conditions changed uh, in Ukraine that prevented him from physically sending in forces. And then as a sweetener, he delayed, met with Biden, who then gave him the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And Bob's your uncle now, the heart of of, uh, Europe, Germany, is now in Putin's back pocket forever. And so now here we are, back where we were a year ago. The winter is much worse there this year than it was last year. The snow's not going to melt anytime soon. Putin's got more forces in place than he did a year ago. And he's just waiting to pull the trigger at the right right time. He's got all the escalation dominant, So the game's over in Ukraine. So huh. there's no reason going to war there, especially when your reader or your listener is correct. If we push Russia too far, if we sanction them, if we keep going down this path, Moscow will be forced to pivot and become an auxiliary of China, which it is already being forced to do by 30 years of bad American strategic thinking on the issue of what to do with Russia. We are creating a Frankenstein's monster in the form of this Sino-Russian alliance that could potentially create a new world order of autocracy against us. That is not a good place to be.
1: One is hoping they're thinking that way. One is doubting that they are, of course. Uh, just because of the way they talk about China and the way they talk about Russia. Let me ask you about that second part. Joe Biden got a lot of flack from our side uh, in his press conference last week where he three or four huh. times, right, three or four times sent a, a pretty uh, a pretty weak signal about yeah. about what Russia was doing. How bad was that or do you think it was mostly just confirmation for what Putin's intelligence already was?
2: I think it was both. It was terrible because it sent a signal publicly to our allies. We don't have their back. Yeah. And it sent, it sent a signal publicly to Putin that, that he is the strong man, that yeah. like he's been saying, and he can strut. And behind the scenes, yeah, Russian intelligence were saying, see, I mean, the, the president government- all
1: but said that with Jen Psaki doubling down. They actually right. said the decision is Putin's. Once upon a time, we had something here. I told my audience, I'm sure 10,000 books have been written with the word deterrence in the in the in the right. in, in the title. Right. I guess that's just
2: gone now. Well, the problem also is we're dealing with Russia, which is issuing what's known as compelling threats. And we are trying to do deterrence, but we're not doing it very effectively. Because, first of all, deterrence is not going to stop a compelling actor. And, second of all, we have a leadership that is postmodern liberals. They don't understand deterrence. This is like where they're discussing about sanctioning four Russian leaders for, uh, you know, if they invade Ukraine, we are going to sanction their, their bank accounts. They don't. All they're going to do is go to China and get the money from China. That's the future. That's where this is going. And Russia, since we instituted these, these onerous sanctions programs, and I warned I warned D.C. about this, Seven years ago, and I was, I was kicked out of the room when I said this, I told them, I said, listen, these sanctions short term, yeah, they'll help, but Russia's not going to come to the table because Ukraine's a family matter. And what this is going to do is it's going to force the Russians to start building their own indigenous capabilities economically so they can better withstand the sanctions regime. And that's what has happened for the last seven and eight years. And now they're pivoting to China. And now they're doing all these natural gas deals. And now the natural gas price is so high, thanks to the Biden administration's idiotic decision on Keystone, and idiotic decision to raise the regulatory burdens on on American natural gas producers, we now have, in Putin, a renewed viper's nest. And he's not going to stop. And so this whole thing about sanctioning Russia, it's ridiculous. It's just going to create more of a Frankenstein's monster. There's nothing that we can do in Ukraine right now. An insurgency like Lukwak is talking about would be a waste of time. And furthermore, it might actually create another Frankenstein's monster. As we know, when we supported uh, the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, Uh that ultimately evolved into al-Qaeda. Look how that went. I don't think we should be getting
1: involved at all. Now, the question, we'll pick this up on the other side of the break and I have some listeners with some questions on on the line as well. But contemplate this over the break. When Putin takes Ukraine, is the question in America going to be who lost Ukraine or or does Putin know that's where he stops anyway? We're not dealing. No one has to worry about Romania, Poland, Hungary, the Czechs. All right. We'll pick up on that when we come right back. We're speaking with Brandon J. Weikert here from the Guns Etc. Studios at 960 a.m., the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon, um, do we worry at all that once we acknowledge that Russia is going to take Ukraine, Putin is going to take Ukraine, do we worry at all that we are going to be in a peace in our time kind of environment? One has the sense— that this is going to be framed as a Tucker Carlson versus the Biden administration kind of thing about Ukraine and our interests. It's not so much about Ukraine. Someone in the Biden administration may say it's about messaging to Russia, to which I think my own answer is we already showed them that the door is open.
2: Yeah. I mean, game over, man. Yeah, that game message over, was
1: lost you know? a long time ago. I,
2: I, so this is like a move to, so like, we are living through Chamberlain. Biden is our Chamberlain. I wish we had Jimmy Carter at this point. Um, he's giving away everything everywhere. Um, we're going to be going into our now second major evacuation of U.S. personnel uh, without the proper military support, again, in Ukraine. Um, and uh, it's a disaster. And so, like, let's just get real. This is peace in our time in the sense of, We're giving away America's hard-won world order. This is just the way it is now. There's going to be a run on the United States for the next probably five to seven years, well after Biden's out of office, until we get a strong leader again. And by then, we're going to be playing catch-up. So there's that. The second point is, it doesn't matter if we lose Ukraine. Because let's face it, Ukraine has never been as important to us as it has been to Russia. The important, The best former Soviet states, in my opinion, are already in NATO. Those countries are protected by Article 5. There is nothing that anyone can do to get those countries out of NATO, and there is nothing anyone can do to force those countries to play to Russia's beat. And in fact, with Poland, you now have, as I said, the beating heart of consistent, legitimate, capable resistance. And the United States should be moving nuclear weapons into Poland. We should be moving uh, anti-ballistic missile defense systems. We should be flowing in arms. We should be sending large numbers of troops. They should open up Fort Trump immediately and and get get Americans permanently stationed along with their allies in Poland. The Poles are more than capable and willing, which is different from the Ukrainians, who are in a different geopolitical and geostrategic position. Uh, that, That ship has sailed. They're not a member of NATO Ukraine either. I have to keep reiterating that. They never will be because there's an active conflict zone within their borders. But Poland and other former Soviet states that are part of NATO, they are still protected. And while I do think Putin takes eastern Ukraine, he's then going to go to work on the rest of Ukraine. I do believe that's going to happen. And I do think Putin's going to be looking at Moldova. He's going to be looking at uh, maybe even Finland and some of these countries that are not necessarily, or Sweden, that are not necessarily part of NATO, uh, but are kind of in that gray area. And I think he's going to start trying to press on those countries far more than he will initially on Poland. Eventually, he will press on the NATO former Soviet members, uh, but they will be, if people listen to me, that will be another decade, and they will be permanently protected under Article 5, and they will be capable because Poland is never going to allow itself to fall. And if you give Poland nukes, give them direct control of those nukes, by the way, Um, Russia will never cross Poland because they know the poles are nuts. And 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 I don't mean
1: this to be a pedestrian point, by the way, but I think it is important for people to remember NATO came after Munich, not before. So, I mean, it's not as if we are going to watch history repeat itself Ukraine is
2: probably lost. Yeah, okay. Europe is not necessarily lost. If we start making moves now, but we've got a triage. And unfortunately, the triaging has to start with cutting away eastern Ukraine. Okay. And, uh, you know, from there, we can we can make a better, stronger, more defensible position. But the problem is right now, the Biden administration is, is I don't think, capable of making any informed strategic decision at all other than cut and run. And well, that is the, the liberal democratic agenda since the post-Vietnam era of cutting America down the size, And, you know, we just don't deserve it and that's that and that's the way as long as biden's in office and his people around him are in office there's going to be one rolling disaster on the home front and abroad after another
1: yeah i don't remember where i read this you read so much you just forget it it it, might for that matter it may have been something you wrote that i that i read (laughs) this in but is how is is there an element of this where where biden sees kowtowing to russia as part and parcel of getting his big win, which really isn't Russia and really isn't China, but is Iran. Is, is that part yeah, of any thinking?
2: So basically, two, two nights ago, Sunday night, there was a, a, a meeting in which Putin called Ibrahim Rahizi, the president of Iran, the hardliner, uh, and basically was like, you know, we're your biggest backer on the foreign stage. Uh, I'm kind of tied up with Ukraine. I need to deal with the Americans. I'd rather not have to invade, but I will if I have to. But maybe to avoid invasion, maybe you come to the table in Vienna legitimately, Iran, and you get back in that ridiculous nuclear agreement. Look, it's weak anyway. Everybody knows you're going to be able to get what you want out of it. Just do that for me. That'll placate the Americans. That'll get them off my back. Let me have eastern Ukraine without any bloodshed. And it'll get you what you want ultimately in the long run. And Raisi hung up on Putin. Okay, Because Raisi's insane. But the bottom line (laughs) is, the, the, the bottom line is, that's the play that both the Russians and the Americans are going for. This is the way Putin is probably going to get out of having to maybe do a bloody invasion and still get what he wants. If he gives Biden his little, you know, feather in his cap that he restored the nuke agreement with Iran... He may have to Russian, walk rather
1: than shoot his way in, yeah.
2: And that is what he would prefer, ultimately. Don't get me wrong, Putin. Uh, but... But that's the angle, and the Biden administration is hoping that that's what happens, because if if Putin does that, then Biden knows Putin, and then Biden gets to walk around saying, I made peace with the Mullahs. And remember, remember, Obama was manipulated by Russia on Syria with the chemical weapons in 2014. This is the exact same play, and Putin is laughing. And this is his way. And Iran, I don't think though, is going to go for it right now because they want to make everybody aware that Iran is the big hot dog in the Middle East, not Russia, not China, not America. So Iran's going to make Russia pay for for doing that deal as much as they're going to make the Americans and Israelis pay. Um, but that is, I think, one potential non kinetic way that we get out of the crisis in eastern ukraine is basically iran joins the nuclear agreement as per the dictates of biden without any questions asked because russia's pressuring him and in exchange biden looks the other way while putin jogs into eastern ukraine no must no fuss and that is how america's decline continues on as planned by the declinists who run the biden administration
1: brandon the question comes up uh perennially And it comes up any time we invoke China. So I have a listener asking this question. Is China still an economic power or is it imploding?
2: Um, I think the jury's still out on that. You have to understand the Chinese government themselves initiated the Evergrande collapse. The Chinese government is the one who initiated this, and they did it for a very specific reason. They wanted that investment going into high-tech industrial revolution, not into real estate bubbles like we did here in the early 2000s. So maybe it blows up in their face. But I am not convinced China's going away. Well, we've heard this for 30 years. China's going to collapse. China's going to collapse. Maybe eventually. But right now I'm looking at China going, they've got a lot of depth. And even if they are going to collapse, a wounded animal is even more dangerous. Yeah,
1: yeah, the now. wounded bull is often more dangerous than the straight one. Uh, can you do one last small short segment Absolutely. with me? Absolutely, such a big topic. I, would, I, I really appreciate it. Brandon Jay Weikert is our guest. You can follow him at the com. Uh, Weichert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Brandon J. Weichert, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebsen Show. Brandon Weichert is our guest. We've been getting a course, boy, it's been a good one, on uh, what's going on vis-a-vis Russia, Ukraine, the United States, Europe, and NATO. Thank you for this hour, Brandon. We'll... Thank you for, for having ages. me. I love it. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, one of our listeners asks, um, it's reported that Russia wants two things, no NATO, no NATO membership for Ukraine and access to the sea by way of a Ukrainian port. Uh, I gather that means uh, the Black Sea. Uh, the, yeah, the NATO thing can be easily taken off the table. Sure. Why, why not Why not some kind of an easement uh, for Russia? We're led by
2: idiots. Because yeah. we're led by vain fools who want to think that they just because they look at something the right way, that the world will just bend to their will because they have a Harvard uh, education or a Yale education <laughs> and they live in the, the 22207 zip code of Ar- North Arlington, Virginia. <laughs> I remember cares.
1: that zip code, okay. Take, yes. take it easy cares. there, buddy.
2: <laughs> okay. Right, nobody cares. And so, like, uh, basically, let's just get real. Ukraine was never meant and was never going to be part of NATO. Okay. And it only started to get looked that way when George W. Bush and the neocons were riding high in 2004 and the Orange Revolution happened, and they were like, yeah, let's go in there and let's aggravate the Russians, let's upend the agreement that George H.W. Bush made with the Russians on Ukraine, which was that they would be sovereign so long as they were not a military threat to the Russians. And guess what? We screwed that up. And you know what Putin said when he was watching in 2004 with his friends in the Kremlin? Uh, This is a true fact. He was watching it on TV, the Orange Revolution unfold. And he apparently stood up, irate, screaming, the Americans lied to me. I will never trust them again. I will never believe a word they say. And from that moment, the fruitful relationship that was, the Russo-American post-Cold War era, was dead. And we have been paying for it ever since. And now here we are, you know, 2008, the the, the Germans and the NATO leadership meet. Uh, I want to say it was in Bucharest again. And they said, well, we're not going to have a formal uh, memoract- memorandum of action for getting uh, Ukraine and Georgia into NATO. But the leader of NATO at the time turned to the camera, Reuters, and he said, I can guarantee you at some point soon, both Ukraine and Georgia will be proud NATO members. And that was six months before Russia invaded Georgia and then started angling for Ukraine there because is. there was yeah. no way, yeah. no way Putin was going to let those two countries become NATO members, period. And that is a fact. We can easily go to him and say, look, there's an active conflict in Ukraine. We can't make them part of UK- uh, NATO by law, by the rules of NATO. So you know what? This is a moot point, and we never intended to do it. It's all been a big misunderstanding. Let's try to rehabilitate the relationship. But nobody in Washington or Brussels has the cojones to do that.
1: Brandon Weikert's next book coming out this year will be Shadow War. The book after that, Brandon, who lost Ukraine, Uh, maybe, maybe. You've got it. You wrote it today. The the, the
2: third third book is already submitted. Uh, It is called Biohacking the World.
1: There we go. Maybe the fourth book then. Brandon J. Weikert, bless you, sir. Until next week. Thank you.
2: All right. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.